You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello, sassy school of scone-scoffing scallywag scholars. Welcome to Good Job Brain, your weekly quiz show and offbeat trivia podcast. This is episode 182, and of course, I'm your humble host, Karen, and we are your Wise and wily wisecrackers wailing about will-o'-wisps and the Nintendo Wii. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Colin. I'm Dana. And I'm Chris. So I'm back. Yay! Hello. I was absent for the previous episode, but uh, I was here in spirit because, of course, I recorded a trivia question for you guys. Yeah. Which you were able to answer. I was very excited. Uh, Hilariously... Just in case you recorded another episode while I was gone, <laughs> I actually recorded a second trivia question that you guys haven't heard. Oh. So even though I'm here, we'll just, we'll just play it and we'll just pretend for a second <laughs> right. that, You're not here. that I'm not here. All right. Yeah. We won't All right. look at you this while is, it plays. Yeah. From, yeah. from no, the Chris okay. Kohler vaults yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. Right. exactly. Hello, Good Job Brain co-hosts, and hello to you out there at home. I am still on the east coast of the USA for today's show, and I am thus delivering to you this remote trivia experience. This week, I am in my home state of Connecticut, which boasts various firsts. It's the birthplace of the Frisbee, the Colt 45 handgun, and dental anesthesia. So here is your trivia question. Louis Lunch. Established in 1895 in New Haven, Connecticut, is the birthplace of what? Uh, we've. I know. Yeah. Oh, we've do you ta- know? We talked about this. I feel like. Go ahead. Uh, it is the original hamburger. Yeah. I don't know. We'd have to listen to the answer to find out. I believe, and, and it's I a, believe that's okay, right. Past I re- Chris. From what I from from past Chris, and from what I remember, it's like. It's a different version of a hamburger because you use, like, sliced white bread instead of buns. Mm -hmm. And then you put it in a weird little – like, it looks like a little burger torture device. (laughs) Like, you sandwich it in, in like, a cage and then you put it in a fire. Well, let's – That's what I think Let's find out. Hi again. I hope that wasn't too easy for you. (laughs) Now, to recap, I asked Louie's Lunch, a restaurant established in 1895 in New Haven, Connecticut, is the birthplace of what – the answer is the hamburger, Yay. which it says it invented in 1900 for a customer who wanted a meal he could take on the go. Louise Lunch grinds the meat fresh in their basement every day and cooks the burger patties in a vertical cast iron flame broiler. Like, imagine a sideways toaster with, with fire. The burgers are served on toasted white bread with onion and cheese but no ketchup. There is no ketchup anywhere in Louis' lunch. Thanks for playing, and I will see you guys soon when I get back. They don't serve fries there? They don't serve fries there. Oh. No, so You're back! Yeah, I am back! I, sooner sooner rather than later, yeah, here I am. The magic of radio. No, it is. You can find video of this, but it's a, it's a patented design, actually, so nobody else can do it because they built these um, these old, old cast iron broilers. Or they were new, you know, in the 1800s, but they're old now. <laughs> um, they use like a cheddar cheese, like a sharp cheese spread and onions and white bread, but big signs everywhere saying no ketchup. Whoa, they don't have huh? ketchup. I'll kick you out and bring ketchup. packets in. Yeah, very different experience to be sure, but it is the first, it is the hamburger sandwich. 
there are a lot of um some customer needed something on the go so right the, the, yeah. just, right. the right. The ice cream cone. Yeah. The, uh, the right. sandwich. The sandwich. Right. Yeah, yeah. 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 A lot of lazy people around. A, yeah. <laughs> so I have a cool tidbit from the Twitterverse, from our Good Job Brain Twitter, uh, Benjamin Driggs. Uh, hopefully that's his real name. Benjamin Driggs. He sent a video of this thing, but I want to ask you guys first. Mm. Okay. What kind of animal is the Portuguese man o' war? I know. It's uh, jellyfish? A, a jel- yeah, yeah, jellyfish. It looks like a jellyfish. Oh, okay. Oh. Technically, uh-huh. it's it a is. dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they also call it a Portuguese yeah. water dog. The Obamas have Obama yeah. and Sunny. Yes. yes. Uh, they're siphonophores or mm-hmm. siphonophores. Mm-hmm. Siphonophores, siphonophores. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, it is not one animal. When you see a no. Portuguese man of war, it's not. One it's, jellyfish. It's like it like is a colony. It is a colony oh. of many organisms oh, okay. built together to look like a jellyfish. Isn't mecha, that crazy? Mecha jellyfish. Yeah, it's uh, like a like a Voltron yeah. <laughs> of 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 these uh, hmm. a, a colony of uh, z- zooids. Ah. zooids. So they're not related to jellyfish. They resemble a jellyfish. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, I mean, when you go up the the genus species, the uh, the class, like they, they kind of all belong the same. Okay, animal, okay. Like the hydra. Uh huh. Uh huh. But this is a, wow. a a collection of different it's animals, different. which yeah. is weird because it looks like one. It looks mm. like one clear dumpling and some tendrils. It's a good survival strategy. Yeah. yeah. It's like a jigsaw puzzle. Of a yeah. Jellyfish. Like so. So like <laughs> yeah, some yeah, of the, yeah. the zooids in. One part of the Portuguese man war is like in charge of this function of the whole okay. colony, and then this one is in charge it's of like, another. I look you know, like function. an eyeball. Yeah, I look mm-hmm. like a tendril. Thank you, uh, yeah. thank you, Benjamin, for sending that in. All right, well, we had a couple of trivia tidbits, but let's jump into our official first general trivia segment: pop quiz, hot shot. And you guys have your barnyard buzzers ready. I have two random trivial pursuit cards here. I got Silver Screen and Trivial Pursuit Genus 4. Okay. Let's do Silver Screen. I okay. don't think we've ever Wait. done a... Um... Okay, so are these the old movies? These are old Silver Screen. Obscure. Oh, okay. But I think you can get some. Let's do you it. Know, they're not that old. Let's do All it. All right. Blue Edge uh, for setting. What city was the setting for Blade Runner? Oh. Colin. Uh, Los Angeles. Correct. Blade Runner is always in yeah, always yeah. It's a trivia. trivia. Pink Wedge, what did Mrs. Doubtfire win its sole Oscar nomination for? Oh, oh. Uh, Dana, makeup? Correct. Yeah. It is makeup. <laughs> Seems appropriate. Oh dear. Mm. Yellow Wedge for OFF. Not sure. Box office. Yep. Mm. What actor wrote a first novel titled Kid Andrew, Cody, and Julie Sparrow? Actor. Wrote a novel. Hmm. Kid Andrew Cody and Julie Sparrow. Kid Andrew. Oh. I don't know about these actors what? right now. Uh, this actor we had in trivia last week, and we didn't know. Huh. Uh, I mean, uh, not that it helps you, listeners. Oh, wait, who was that? No, but it would help uh, us. Uh, I uh, uh, oh, is he, it, he was is in it? A Sweet Smell of Success, Colin. Oh, Tony with, Curtis? Yes, okay. it is. Kid Andrew. That's uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's dad, right? They're related? Yes. Okay. I guess silver wedge, gray wedge. Where was the silver chalice first used? What? So wait, what, what's that? What's that? 
Where was the silver chalice first used? That is that mean? in quotes or anything? No. Nope. What a weird question. Capitalized even? No. Nope. Just, where was the silver chalice first used? I, I don't What's the know. category? It, it says O N. Like maybe on location or something. Yeah. Like, uh, uh, you know, don't think movies. Okay. Just, just don't think, think movies. Yeah. Where was oh, like, England? No. <laughs> Egypt. You're closer. Uh, <laughs> the Last Supper. Oh, oh okay. 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 All right. Huh. Okay. Huh. Oh, that well, makes sense. All right. Silver yeah, yeah. chalice. Hmm. That, was a, that was the first time somebody invented a silver chalice was first the Last used. Supper. Yeah. That seems... It's in the movie. The yeah, last in the supper. movie. Oh. Right. Is the an- okay. Yeah. Is the answer like the movie The Last Supper? Is it I, italicized? It just, nope. Hmm. It's wow. not italicized, and the other the other answers that are okay. Then I have no I, idea. Yeah, weird. Huh. What a weird yep. question. All right, uh, teal teal wedge for pro production. What okay. Bible epic marked Paul Newman's screen debut? Oh, whoa! Bible, Bible epic. <laughs> the Ten Commandments. No. Hmm. Bible. This is a terrible card. Yeah, I was going to guess Ten Commandments. I don't know. The answer is the silver challenge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on what now. That's, that's just. Wait, I, I can't even piece it together. Okay, so Paul Newman. Oh, okay. Well, you know what? Now that's a movie. To be fair, yeah. like, you're not supposed to be just reading through the that's questions true. on yeah, a card. Yeah, true, but, okay, but, but still, that's, yeah, they're getting yeah, a little lazy I still there. Have no idea what the. Yeah, okay. All right. That's a movie because that's italicized. I'm guessing that was a movie about Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, last question. Uh, Who did Jose Ferrer portray in The Greatest Story Ever Told? Chris. Jesus. No. Good guess. Good guess. uh, Moses? No. Mm, And it's Jose Ferrer, I think. Oh. The Silver Chalice? (laughs) Yeah, nice. (laughs) Nice. portray the Silver Chalice? It is another biblical. Judas. No. It is Pontius Pilate. Okay. Uh, Okay. Okay. Yeah. You guys want a silver screen. That's wow. what you get. You know, I mean, now we yeah. know why we don't use silver screen. <laughs> yeah. All silver right. Yeesh. We need to watch curious, our Bible epics. <laughs> yeah, much. seriously. I don't even think I've ever learned that reference about the silver chalice. Like, no, I, it's the I, first appearance of the silver chalice. Like, I know, yeah. I, I would have guessed Indiana Jones, but I was like, that was a wooden cup. Right. Well, I mean, they're connected because they're both looking for the grail. I mean, yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. the, yeah. Right. That's the idea. Yeah. Oh, I know. I got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a messed All up right. Trivial Pursuit card. Oh, yeah. Weird. All right. Well, uh, good job, brains. I bet I bet yeah. people who are more familiar with the Bible will be like, what, you guys? We're going to get some um, actually. We're old movies. <laughs> can't um, actually. Well, we just don't know. We don't know. Trivia Some, question. Somebody yeah. will explain it. Maybe. Yeah. Oh, we'll yeah. See. yeah. Yes. So I suggested our topic for this week. And uh, I want to show you guys what inspired it. So this was just a few days ago, a soccer team in Spain. Uh, this is a, a lower level team, uh, CD Palencia. They rolled out their new uh, uniforms. And I have a photo here for you guys. These are oh, printed right. uniforms yes. that look like the like uh, the musculature below your skin, right? So yeah. it's like if oh, someone's like their our... skin is transparent. Exactly. Right. Or removed. Yeah, yeah, right. So, I mean, it's really finely detailed. You can 
can see. It's a little. It's kind of creepy. It's a little creepy. I have yep. to say, it's a little creepy. But I think cool. it it it's did like a its science textbook. It did its purpose, which is it got them all over the internet, all mm. over the news. We are now talking about CD Palencia, a club I did not even know existed. Yep. You know, <laughs> just a few days ago. So they're pretty cool, and you know, kind of shows like what you can do now with like screen printing and fabric technology. Yeah. Um, but that got me to thinking about we had never really done a great deep dive on uniforms and, you know, more broadly speaking, like costumes and clothing with a purpose. So I thought that would be a good topic for us to dive into this week. All right. This week, let's play dress up. always enjoy being able to do video game stuff on <laughs> Good Job Brain. We don't yeah. do too much, we don't do too much of it. Um, it kind of came up like, oh, what if we talked about what video game characters wear and why they wear those things? And I was like, oh, right. Did we ever do the story of why does Mario look like Mario? Um, because it's, it's a, not because he's a plumber. It's a really interesting story. No, that is that was determined afterwards. Oh. Mario Mario is a plumber because he looks like a plumber. But <laughs> why does he look like a plumber? Okay, that is that is the question. Um, so some quick backstory. We are of course talking about the Mario of the Super Mario Brothers games. He was created for the 1981 game Donkey Kong. That was his first appearance. Um, the the quick backstory on this is that there was a game, uh, an arcade game by Nintendo called Radar Scope. Um, it was like a Space Invaders type game. And Nintendo of America bet very big on this game. So they made a whole lot of them for Nintendo of America. And they put them on a boat. And then the boat took, uh. you know, three months to get to America. By the time the boat arrived, Radar Scope was not so hot anymore. And they had a whole lot of arcade games that they could not sell. They were oh. not going to make a lot of money. I thought you so, say the boat capsized. Nope. They're boat now capsized. The ocean. They just had lots and lots of radar scopes and, uh, they couldn't do anything with them. And so they call back to Japan kind of in a, you know, very bad way. Like, uh, can you make us a game? You can send us the game and we can print it on. Because basically you had the arcade game. You could take out the ROM chips and the board and put a new game in it. And you could, you could replace, oh. you could slap a new sticker on the side and everything would be okay. If somebody could create a game using that same hardware, that would be better. And Nintendo was like, well, everybody's busy right now, but this guy, <laughs> Shigeru Miyamoto, mm-hmm. he's the only game designer who's free right now to like make you a brand new game from scratch because you messed up um (laughs) also he's never made a game before wow yeah um that's how high priority it was yeah basically (laughs) right yeah (laughs) it was like yeah let me dig you out of your hole um miyamoto uh initially started working on a popeye game because it looked like nintendo was going to get the rights from universal or uh sorry king feature syndicate i believe Mm. is the company to to get popeye but then that fell through and so miyamoto was like okay well i can't do popeye but what if i take that same love triangle grouping oh of characters oh my god yep yep we've blown karen's mind everybody <laughs> donkey, donkey kong, kong is brutus yeah. Yeah. Lady, donkey kong is pluto exactly and then the lady and, is all of them yep and then Mario is Popeye, and instead of spinach, he grabs the hammer and becomes, you know, superpowered. Initially, he wanted to call uh, Mario uh, Mr. Video, thinking that he would uh. be, like, the star of all Nintendo's games. Um, but later, he called him Jumpman. 
because that was it was after Pac-Man basically because oh. because Pac as in Paku 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 is the Japanese sound of eating mm. and of course this followed Walkman, Walkman which was very popular in Japan at this point it had come out in the late 70s uh, but the idea was verb man yeah yeah uh, Walkman jump man <laughs> and then Nintendo of America was the one who named him Mario it was after the landlord of their business park but we're here to talk about costumes Mario is a weird character Right? Yeah. Like, it doesn't make any... It's like... Yeah. He's not like an adventurer. He's a dude. He has, like, overalls and a weird floppy hat. And, like, where did this come from? <laughs> yeah, like, it doesn't seem like this is part of his job description. Right. This story really gets to, like, the genius of Shigeru Miyamoto as an early designer of video games. Because he had this innate understanding very early on of, like, the limitations of game design. Where do I put my priorities? And he designed Mario as the perfect character for a low-resolution video game screen of the time. So Mario has a hat. Why? Well, he reasoned, if Mario were to jump off a platform, his hair would have to fly upward. That's (laughs) realistic, right? Now, most video games just wouldn't deal with this at all. I mean, they would go one of two ways. One... Waste precious pixels and animation and code designing it so the guy's hair flies up when he falls. You could do that. Number two, helmet of hair. You know, you could, you could do it that way. Miyamoto figures out the third way, which doesn't waste resources and looks better, which is just give him a hat. (laughs) Right, right. Right. Mario has a giant nose. Mario has a big bushy mustache. Why? There's not that many pixels to play with. And it's really difficult at this time to give a character a mouth. Because yeah. you can go one of two ways. <laughs> you can give him a... You can draw a mouth, but every character is going to look like the Joker. I mean, there, were, <laughs> yeah, yeah. there are... Yeah. If you see, like, old Atari yeah. games and stuff like that, if the character has a mouth, it, they look like a horror doll. It's yeah. just it like just a, single, a single yeah. pixel row. Or you don't give him a mouth at all, and everybody looks like Hello Kitty. Yeah, so, okay. neither of these are good. Miyamoto gives him a mustache <laughs> because I'll just give him a big bushy mustache that covers up where the mouth would be. And it also showcases the nose. It, makes it also the nose stand it gives him a nice so big nose face. because, yeah, so you, yeah, exactly. So you can see he has a face. He has an expressive face. Mm-hmm. Other video game characters at the time, to the extent that there really even were humanoid characters in video games, there really weren't a whole lot at that point. Their face was like a couple of pixels. There was just, you know, like it was nondescript. And then finally, Mario wears overalls. Uh, now, the game takes place in a construction site in an unfinished building that Mario has to climb. He was originally a carpenter before he was a, before he was a plumber. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the overalls kind of make sense. But, but again, the, the costume is picked for gameplay reasons. So if you give him overalls, then his torso is red and his yeah, arms are blue. Makes sense. And he doesn't have to be dressed in like a nineteen seventies rainbow shirt right, to, to, right. to get that, right? Or a it baseball makes jersey. Sense yeah. that he would wear <laughs> well, overalls, which would change the coloration. Now you can see his arms. So that's it. I mean Mario is designed as a character purely all of the design elements are there um, so that he would stand out well on a low-resolution video game screen. The hat, the mustache, the nose, the the overalls. But it translates so well to, not real life, but like it translates so well through the iterations of Mario. Just like that overall look and the hat and the... Mm-hmm. 
and they put the little M on it now. Right, and, right, right. And they've well, added a few details here and there. But yeah. it's almost the same. Right. It's funny. I, I think when I saw his overalls, I was like, he looks like a carpenter more than a painter or a plumber. That's, That's what I thought. Initially, he was a carpenter. They usually have the sleeves on their overalls. Yep. The plumber, well, he yeah. became a plumber because with the game Mario Brothers, that's where they added in the pipes and the oh, turtles underground. Yeah. yeah. So I ran uh, the iconic Beta Breakers race today in San Francisco. It's it's a it, it's like a race, but it's really a big party. There are people who party. run it. They run it, you know, like, like not comp- in costume. Yeah, 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 yeah. To win a prize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Uh, but I but. saw so many Mario's today. Uh-huh. So many Mario's because it's so it's so iconic. And then sometimes it's with Luigi. Sometimes it's a group of people. Mm-hmm. There's Walu. You know, sometimes, sometimes Mario is naked. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes <laughs> it's not. Yeah. So oh, nice naked Mario costume. No, nope, yeah. no. Nope, this oh, yeah. is just what I look like. Yeah. That's also oh, one that, of the things yeah. at the Beta Breakers. Yeah. Is yeah. There are a lot, a lot of naked, naked people. people yeah. 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 Yep. I saw this Mario and it was all black leather and yeah, you know, I'm like, hey, way to go, Mario. That's how I know. Mario. <laughs> I personally dressed up as Sonic for for this race. I usually dress up for all of the beta breakers, and I also dress up for all basically all the races I run. I'm in an elaborate costume because most of the races I do is in Disney World and Disneyland, and I want to talk about something I'm super excited about uh, that I learned uh, about Disney and costumes. Okay. So throughout. Disneyland, Disney World, and also on the Disney cruises and all the, mm. all the other parks around mm-hmm. the world, there's probably a hundred million dollars worth of costume oh, that Disney has. Oh, okay. sure. And, uh, all together, there's probably three million garments and accessories wow. in use. Yeah, and wow. this, you know, and when I say costume, you're thinking about like the big Pluto, but I'm also talking about like <laughs> the cast members there, the people yeah. who work oh, there, sure. you know, cause a lot of their uniforms are, theme to mm. you know your fantasy land is like a whimsical thing and your star tours outfit is more like futuristic like the main right. street 20s like yeah. One. yeah 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 and so those are also costumes too that's a lot of inventory that disney has to deal with right on yeah. a daily basis hourly yep. basis make almost. sure somebody doesn't drive home in the in the pluto suit <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they actually nowadays they're really elaborate like some of those costumes if you look at the costume evolution of some of those those big costumes from like the early days they're they're kind of nightmare fuel, <laughs> yeah. you know. It's yeah. like a guy's yeah. face is painted white with big ears, and it's just kind of creepy. But now <laughs> they're to a point where like it doesn't have to be necessarily a human size. Like your head isn't necessarily the character's head. You could be in a giant costume, and the person in it has screens. And they have like remote control that they can Whoa. move eyes, move hands, Amazing. even like there's the the more advanced versions of Mickey Mouse. They can listen to what you say and they can talk mm. because there's someone who's in a controlling room. Um, they can control the hands. They can control does it, blinking. Does it modify the voice? It does. To sound like Mickey Mouse? It does. That's amazing. It's, it's, it's pretty high tech. <laughs> like I said, a hundred million dollars worth of costumes. And what is so genius about the Disney company is that in 2011, they implemented a system. Every single costume has an RFID tag mm. in it. Hmm. Um, an RFID, just quick recap, is a radio frequency identification. So it uses 
um, electromagnetic fields to track and identify things in kind of like a smallish space. It's not GPS where you're beaming a si- satellite and you're like, oh, this person is in England. <laughs> you know, this is like within within the parks, within locally, you can track things. And it's They're all around us. All around yeah. us. Your employee key card that yeah. you yeah. go into doors is RFID. Um, your toll pass on your car is RFID. Oh. And this is a very, very big deal. Because when we're dealing with three million different pieces yeah, in yeah. different cities or on a cruise ship, mm-hmm. and you need to know, oh, no, I need Pluto's head. Yeah. Like, <laughs> or if there's yeah. going to be some kids having nightmares. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they can identify and track exactly where that Pluto head is. Man, it's yeah. just like on like Star Trek. It's, it's like, you know, locate for me Pluto's head. So can you imagine before say in the 80s, 70s, with all of these costumes, all of these, all the people who work at the parks, all of their uniforms, it's manual. Tracking by hand where the shirt is, where is the, you know, the pair of shoes you have, you know, the pair of pants that you have to wear for for Fantasyland, all manual. In the 1990s, they implemented, uh, which is a better step, with barcode. But then you still have to have a bunch of people scanning stuff every day. In Disney World, back in the barcode era, uh, 25 workers scan the label of every garment that's checked in or out, and it took about 9 to 12 hours <laughs> to complete. Oof. Now, it only takes one or two people, and it takes an hour with RFID. So hmm. with RFID, you have readers, and it just automatically reads it, right. and it sends that information to a database. So RFID was implemented in 2011. Within a year, they helped reduce inventory counting time, just keeping inventory from 180 hours to two hours. Whoa. (laughs) Because you just have a reader, you set up a tunnel and things pass through and just reads it. Just like that. Right, 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 exactly. So you can just look at a list and be like, okay, what's in here? Mm -hmm. Okay, great. And so this is, this is kind of the process. So if you work at Disney, you go to wherever you store all the costumes and the stuff. You pick out your outfit uh, for that day that you need, and you just hang it on a kiosk on a rod, and then automatically bleep, 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 knows exactly what you're checking out. Wow, it's almost like yeah, a library yeah, yeah. book. Yeah. You put on your you put on your costume. You do your shift. You come back. All you have to do is throw your uniforms mm. in the laundry chutes. There's yeah. readers in the chutes. Yep. Goes to the laundry service automatically. And hopefully yells yeah. at you if you're missing something. Exactly. Well, they actually, I think they take it out of your paycheck if oh. you're missing something <laughs> automatically, too, because it's so, it's all done automatically. <laughs> of course, of um, course. And then so, you know, the, the RFIDs have to also withstand laundering of the clothes, too, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. It eliminates so much error, too. Because oh, yeah. before, when people are like, you got one shirt and two shirt and whatever. Someone's going to make a mistake. Yeah, so that's the the tech world of managing Disney costumes. So next time you go to a park and you see Pluto, there's an RFID tag somewhere hidden on his head, probably on his shoes and on his bodysuit. Like, it makes, everything it makes is, sense. Yeah, everything is that tracked. makes so much sense. Yeah. Another place that they do use RFID, they use RFID a lot in theme parks, um, but in Disney in particular, if you're, you're in Disney World, those soda machines, you know, like in those restaurants, you go to soda machines and you're like, oh, I'm going to have Diet Coke or I'm going to have whatever. Like the self-service? Yeah, yeah the oh, self-service okay. one. They're technically not really self-service. So to prevent people from using the same cup, and, and refilling their sodas, like, you, you know, save uh. money, all of the soda machines are RFID controlled. So you can buy a cup 
that only allows six refills. There is an RFID really? tag oh. at the oh. bottom of the cup. Oh, maybe I don't know. I've never seen one of these. It will not. Oh, it's not in Disneyland. It's only in Disney World. Oh. So, okay. so it will not dispense soda <laughs> unless it, you have a oh, cup with goodness. a tag. Wow. And it counts exactly how many refills you get. Right, right. So, yeah. you know, my mom well, that, said, I mean, that part's easy. I just can't believe they put an RFID Amazing. tag in every cup. What if you're mixing soda? Is that like one refill? Oh, tier that's refill? true. I don't think you can you can mix your your Franken soda. I don't like uh, the way you think, Dana. <laughs> oh, no, I like I like uh, Franken soda. Yeah. Yeah. Is that cool? Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Everybody, shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. Yeah, the show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. Things done weird things. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. All right, well, we've already touched a little bit on video games and sports mm. and costumes for Disney. I will uh, cover maybe the last base here, which is military oh, yeah. uniforms. Yeah, so just so much, so such a rich area of trivia study. I've put a quiz together for you guys about uh, kind of a grab bag quiz about military uniform trivia. Current or in the history? Uh, it'll be... The entire history, okay. let's say. Okay. Although it's really concentrated in just the last couple hundred years. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. We'll start off with a two-part question here. Uh, I think I think the first part of which should be fairly easy. We'll warm you up, guys, with this one here. So get your buzzers ready. Yeah. Now you can buzz in here. So what do you call the little uh, the fringy, uh, frilly things on the shoulders of uh, oh, some sorry. old-timey, you know, <laughs> military regalia uniforms? Uh, yeah. I think you guys all buzzed in, but I think Karen had it first yeah. on the draw there. Epaulets. They are epaulets. Yeah. You still see them i mean there are still you know in today's military there are uniforms that have them there i don't know they 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 strike me as old-timey i think i don't know about you guys what are they supposed to do it's it is really almost entirely it's just decorative it's it's like a mark of rank it's you know just to be they don't really serve a functional purpose at least not anymore just oh tell people it's yeah yeah. who's the who's the big you know who's Mm -hmm. the head cheese there they're like shoulder pads yeah they're like shoulder pads make you look bigger yeah exactly draws your eye so the second part oh what does epaulette mean? Whoa. What is epaulette? You can probably guess what language it comes from. Sure. Karen. So shoulder armor, I know, is 
pauldron. Mm-hmm. So there's the okay, pink yeah. wall, the pauldron. Oh yeah, so, you're 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 on the right track yeah. here. Um, ep- like little shoulders. That's exactly what oh, it means. Oh, 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 okay. okay, yeah, pulling it out. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's French. It means uh, yeah. little shoulders, epaulettes, little shoulders. Well, all right, we've had this question before in pub quiz. This one has come up. The Civil War, the American Civil War. You know, sure. sometimes poetically called the Battle of the Blue and Gray. Yeah. Which side oh. was which? Wow. Which uh, side was which? Which yeah, side was blue? Yeah. Which yeah, side was gray? Dana. Yeah. North, north is blue. Yeah. South is gray. Yes, that is yeah. correct. The the Union, the North was blue, and the Confederacy was gray. Yeah, you know, the sort of the standing army had already been using kind of blue uniforms before the Civil War, so you know they sort of carried that through. Uh, the Confederacy was a there were a number of reasons, but they were a little more homegrown. They kind of had to make do with what they had in the real early days of the Civil War. Uh, it was it was kind of haphazard, like you know it was not necessarily as standardized as either side would have thought. I mean, there was like friendly fire. Sometimes you're shooting at the wrong guy because you, you know, right. yeah, no, I'm yeah. serious. It was uh-huh. like, it was, yeah. yeah. Uh, I did read at least one source says that sometimes the Confederate troops, if they had, um, you know, from slain Union soldiers, they would take the uniforms and then like boil and bleach them basically to leach the color out mm-hmm. and then use it as like a lighter color uh, yeah. uniform. Yeah. yeah. What is the most notable feature of a... Pikelhaube. This is a German word. A Pikelhaube. Can you spell it? Oh. Oh. Uh, Chris has a guess. It's it's the big old spike on the top of the German uh, helmet. Chris, ah, Chris has it. Oh, yes, yeah. it is. It is what is popularly or co- sometimes commonly called a Kaiser helmet. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The the German style, originally Prussian helmet with the big old spike on the top. Does not seem very practical. Uh, you know, as a kid, I always imagined like, oh, that's like your, it. that's your weapon of last resort. Yeah. yeah. It's well, like, you, just you know, headbutt a dude. You know, yeah. you know, you got, yeah. <laughs> that's what I always thought. No, it wasn't really meant yeah, for it. Was yeah. Yeah. it was called the Kaiser helmet because it was really popularized by Kaiser Wilhelm II, mm. who, uh, wore it, you know, famously and oh. gave his name to it. It was not very functional. I thought it was for like easy storage of your sandwich rolls. You just <laughs> stick it right <laughs> yeah, on top. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Like a Thus, kebab. The Kaiser helmet. Related to rhinoceros. Or, or rhinoceros <laughs> like unicorn. Yeah. Yeah. I, found, I mean, I found out rhinestones really are related to the Rhine River. I wonder if... Ah. Who can say? Who can say? The oh, closest... Sure. The, well, it did actually have a functional purpose. It, it wasn't really inspired by an animal necessarily. Rhinotops. Like it would, it would... It would have a... Uh, <laughs> sometimes if you would see the really fancy... World War I yeah. was long... Sometimes you'll see, uh, like in uh, old, you know, paintings or whatever, you'll see uh, the, in like the full parade version, they'll have like a, a horsehair plume coming yeah, out yeah, the top yeah, of the yeah, spike. Yeah. yeah, so that would be that would be the closest thing to a functional purpose that the spike would have. Uh, to make it to look pretty. He has to hold the horsehair. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. So in the course, yeah. Not not to go too deep here on the uh, on the uh, the uh, pico hobo, but I read that here's how silly it was. So they come up with this like you know metal spike, you know, to be intimidating and kind of just, yeah. and then they realize like, oh, you know, sometimes when you're out in battle, maybe it's not so good to have this big flashy thing on the top of your yeah. head. Yeah. So they came sure. up with a cloth cover yep. to go over the spike, not to remove it. No. Right. <laughs> no. During World War II, what specific mm-hmm. item of clothing was popularized by the British commandos? Chris. Daisy Dukes. <laughs> that would be something. Something. Uh, Karen? 
Oh, World War II. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, what were you going to say? I was going to get gas mask. Oh, no, no, no. This is a, a fashionable item, is let's it, say. Is it uh, the Green Beret? It is the Green oh. Beret. Yes, Chris has it. That's right. Yeah, which is associated, you know, in America, we associate it with the Army yeah. Special Forces. And it is a, a Special Forces headgear. Uh, but the, the British actually had it first, the British commandos. During, do they still use it? The British Special Forces do still use, okay. yeah, the Beret. And, and, and around the world, there are a lot of sort of... There's the Beret. Yeah, yeah. And special forces have kind of taken it on. Yeah, but the uh, the British, uh, we, owe, we owe them a debt for that inspiration. How are they functional? They're functional in a warfare sense in that if you're out in the field, they're not going to get in the way, you know, for instance, like having a giant spike on top of it. Yeah. You know, if you're climbing in and out of a tank or a helicopter or, or whatever, it's just – and it's also a way of unifying your squad. It does have a, 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 a designation purpose, yeah. right? Yeah, it is to sort of say like, hey, we're all in the same squad. We're all the special forces. But yeah, it's, it's, it's not over fancy. It's yeah. just very simple. All right. Uh, this one, unless you guys have uh, done a real deep dive on military uniform history, I'm not expecting you guys to know the answer to this. But maybe you will, so I'll give you a bite at it. I'm going to show you a picture here. So, listeners, I am showing the crew here a photo of a military gentleman wearing what is called a Sam Brown belt. And this is the wide leather belt across the waist with the diagonal leather strap that runs over the shoulder. Oh, okay. All right. Now, this is it's a very common visual huh. symbol of a lot of just kind of military men. It also made its way into like sort of you see a lot of like dictators. You'll even mm-hmm. see uh, like sheriffs. For you wrestling fans, you may remember the Big Boss Man would wear a Sam Brown belt as part mm. of his costume. Is that Sam Brown? Sam that Brown. is not Sam Brown. Okay. I will show you a photo of Sam Brown in a moment. Um, <laughs> but I want to ask you guys, do you know at all the story behind the Sam Brown belt? Do you know? This is great. All right. Now let me show you a photo of Sam Brown and see if you can guess maybe the origin. Okay. Here's a photo of Sam Brown. He's a uh, British officer. He has a lot of medals on. He's a lot of medals on. This is a photo of him in his later days. You may also notice he is missing his left arm. Ah. Oh. <laughs> he has one arm. It looks like he tucked oh, it in his shirt. Yes, yeah, yeah. yes, yes. During the heat of battle, Sam Brown was leading his men. He was charging a uh, crew, reloading a cannon. And today, even though military officers will still sometimes carry a sword, you know, for decorative purposes, uh, back in Sam Brown's day, you would actually use that sword out on the field. You know, it was not uncommon. You're out of guns, you're hand-to-hand. Mm-hmm. And he faced a uh, opponent with a sword, hacked off his arm. Oh, my God. Lost his arm. Okay. So now, in those days, when you had your sword, you would carry it traditionally, you're right-handed, you'd carry it on your left hip. And so you'd have ah. a little clip that holds the scabbard mm-hmm. and you can draw it out. And you could draw it out. But what he discovered is with no left hand, it was really hard to stabilize the scabbard and reach across and pull oh, his sword out. Yeah. So he improvised a solution. He draped another belt across his chest, clipped it on, and so it would hold his sword holder, his scabbard. It would stabilize everything. It would stabilize his scabbard and keep it in place. Yeah. Sword suspender. It was a sword suspender, yeah. And And so that's why other people even without um, uh, without not being caught shorthanded. Exactly. um, Had, yes. Yeah, yeah. Every And, you know, pretty soon after, like... It was so good to stabilize it. His men started mimicking him, and it it really kind of just caught on. These days, again, it sort of fell out of favor, one, because, you know, in the military, you don't really carry swords much anymore yeah and also too they realized that it could also be kind of a liability like out in battle because like you could get caught around your neck like it gives you something else for somebody to grab onto right so when you see it these days it's really just a decorative purpose but that is the story behind the sam brown belt which i never knew until just recently and Hmm. i had to share that with you guys interesting i didn't know what that was about yeah well there you go little just a little bit of uh, military uniform trivia for you guys 
All right, let's take a quick break and we'll be back. Hello, it is I, Elvis, the Good Job Brain 80s robot. I am here to announce that the official Good Job Brain book will be available this fall. Segments, quizzes, original illustrations, puzzles, and weird facts to entertain you humans while you humans engage in your bodily waste excavation sessions in the space known as the Toilet. The book will be in both paperback and ebook versions. And you can even pre-order the paperback version on Amazon today. See you on the Toilet. And we're back. You're listening. Good job, Brain. And this week we're talking about uniforms and costumes. And I have a quick tidbit I want to ask you guys. I'm going to give you three names. And let me know if you know what they have in common. Okay. As I'm reading them out. The third name is the the, the kicker. Should we uh, wait for all of them or buzz in when we... Buzz in when you know. Okay. Oh, all right. All right. Leo Zelinsky. Paul Gamby. And the third one, hopefully, will seal the deal. Edna Mode. Colin. They are characters from movies who were <laughs> costume designers. Specifically, they are superhero tailors. Ah. Superhero costume designers. And I tried Fictional. Fictional, fictional. Yeah. Uh, uh, Leo Zelinsky is from Marvel, um, and he's kind of, he has a, 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 his own tailoring shop in New York City that huh. he helps, uh, Spider-Man and even, uh, some of the villains. They with appear their, in the comic books. They appear in the okay. comic books. Uh, Paul Gamby is the DC version, and Edna Mode, you might know from, Pixar, Disney Pixar's Incredibles. Oh, oh, yes, yes. I tried researching, like, you know, a lot of the origin of the superhero costumes, like, in the story, ah, how did they get their costume? Right. Mm-hmm. Right? Because, you know, I don't know if you guys watched it. They don't really spend a lot of time on no, that. No, no. Like, you know, not everybody is a master sewer. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And right. also, like, the fabrics they have to use, there's got to be somebody. And turns out, you know, it's kind of postmodern. They do have a, a, a couple of superhero tailors that's woven into the story. And um, No pun intended. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even. That was not. <laughs> that was not intended. That just happened naturally. So yeah, Z- Leo Zelinsky uh, from Marvel, Paul Gamby from DC, and Edna Mode from Incredibles. They're that is superhero good. tailors. Nice. I like that. I like the. I like the the characters that live in the margins yeah. of uh, comics. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I have a grab bag quiz for you guys. It's not exclusively about any genre of uniform, though. They're just uniform grab bag. (laughs) Yeah. So it's not a very uniform quiz, is what. Right. It's it's a non-uniform uniform uniform quiz. But you know what? I'm gonna start with with this question because it reminds me of what Colin just talked about. You guys buzz in when I finish reading the question and you have the answer. All right. All right. What's the name of the flared hip, tight-legged pants that mounted a motorcycle police wear? Oh, the flared, flared hip. They're flared hip. So like inverse oh, belt. Yeah, okay. they're not I, super yeah. flattering. Karen? Jodpers? Jodpers. Yeah. So wow. in that picture Colin just showed us, like I got, I was like, oh no, because he's wearing jodpers in that picture. With, <laughs> oh, that's yeah. what he's going to ask. Yeah. So jodpers are... They're Indian pants. They're from in India for hundreds of years. Before the 1800s, 
in northern India, they got really into polo. There was Asia. Oh. That is, mm-hmm. pro, polo is a is a Middle Eastern Central Asia sport. India got really into it, and then when the British were stationed there, they got into polo too. In the 1870s, the first modern rules game of polo was played in the UK, and fancy people fell in love with it. Aristocrats, <laughs> students. Winston Churchill was really into it. They loved it because it trained them for cavalry too. Like you had to ride a horse and do all, right. all these fancy tricks. Oh. Right? There was a Indian uh, officer, Maharaja. This big guy in India came over. He was really into polo and he brought his team who were like the best people in India and they were from the Jodhpur region and he was wearing these pants that he had adapted for polo and everybody was like, those pants are quite fancy. <laughs> and, and all of the, everybody started wearing them for all of their sports. Yeah. And it's named for the region. It's named mm. for the Jodhpur region. Still today, military and police officers, mounted police, they wear Jodhpurs. They're yeah. made of stretchy material and like maybe it's not so much about the give around the butt area, but it's not as bad, yeah. but it's still not the most flattering. U.S. listeners, here's a, a PSA. On HBO right now, you can watch Troop Beverly Hills if you have HBO. Oh, hey. She wears Jodhpurs. She wears Jodhpurs. She does. I, if, she you does. Know, one of a Good Job Brain fa- trivia-filled, yeah. uh, our favorite movie. They're unisex clothing. Yeah. Women in the military, early in the military, would wear them, them, too. <laughs> yeah. You can even turn them around. doesn't matter which is the front, so which is the back. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't, yeah. I mean, Maybe that's... Yeah, it's convenient. <laughs> Would you say hammer pants are jaw purse in a way? No, I think they're they're not tight enough around oh, the, and the leg part. Yeah, it would get caught on the stirrups. Yeah, so mm-hmm. think, yeah. they're like maybe if, if parachute pants and jaw purse got together and had some offspring. Yeah, maybe it'd be hammer pants. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What's the name of the traditional tall pleated poofy hat that chefs wear? Oh, 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 oh. Everybody but Colin. That's a toque. 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 Uh, yes, that is a toque blanche. It's the white hat. Yeah. Uh, did you like my, my French, Blanc. my French accent? <laughs> so there's a legend about the, the toques, the toques that says that they have a hundred pleats because it reminds chefs that there are a hundred ways to prepare eggs. Yeah, bologna. <laughs> really? That's a nice <laughs> story though. I, I, it's a nice story. I agree with nice you. Story. It's a nice story. Uh, Bon Appetit dug around. They were trying to figure out where this came from. They couldn't find any, like, the origin story of this. They they interviewed all sorts of experts. They looked through all sorts of old books. But that that's a common of, saying? Or it's that's a, a common, common saying. It comes up a lot. It I've never heard that, really. Yeah. I mean, I don't hang around with a lot of chefs, though. Every so. time I look for toque, it was like, the legend goes there are a hundred. Yeah. And not every <laughs> yeah. toque has a hundred pleats. There are more than a hundred ways to prepare an egg. I don't... Yeah. 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 But anyway, a toque is a general word for a hat without a brim. And in Canada, it's like a, a woolen yes. hat. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that, yeah. that is so confusing. Uh, cause they'd be like, oh, it's a toque. I was like, and I'm thinking chef's hat, but they're, it's beanie. Yeah. Like, do you guys wear chef hats going snowboard? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. What item of sports clothing was named for a balawick in the Channel Islands? What's balawick? Yes. I'm so glad you asked. I'll, I'll tell you when you guys. Colin knows. Uh, that is a Jersey. Jersey, yes. Ah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, like Jersey and Guernsey. And, yes, because yeah. yeah. we talked about New Jersey yes. and, and original Jersey. Yes. They're, they're bailiwicks. Ba- yeah. Bailiwicks. So it's an area under the jurisdiction of a bailiff. Mm. So 
Jersey is it kind of a weird spot internationally? Like it's not part of the UK. It's not part of France. There were some treaties that went on with it with Normandy. They get all of their their legal stuff solved by a judge, by a bailiff. It's weird, but I was like, oh, that's a good, that word comes up, and I had no idea what it was. Yeah, until that's today. a great. So, yeah, is the, yeah. Is the shirt Jersey named after? Yes. And and how come they were known for for making these like kind of tight knit sweaters that are pullover sweaters? They were really good for sport for fighting for soldiers and then it mm. came to the u.s and the football outfits needed like more protection so they yeah. started wearing the sweaters and they called them jerseys and then jersey meant any kind of sweater and then yeah. eventually it meant any sport. kind of sport yeah top. finally cliff claven the mailman from <laughs> yes. cheers yes uh often wore his uniform to the bar and what style of jacket did he wear and, and as the hint it was named for a u.s president Oh, Whoa. until you give me the hint. Uh, it's a, it must be an Eisenhower jacket. It's an Eisenhower jacket oh, okay. or an Ike jacket. I've never heard of that. Huh. Yeah, I have yeah. an Eisenhower jacket. It's what like, does it look like? It's just like that very classic old style. Like you would see like guys working at like a gas station, you know, would it's, wear oh, it. Okay. It's waist tight. Yeah, it's yeah, very yeah. like yeah. tailored. It's, yeah. it's roomy, but also sharp. Developed near the end of World War II, President Eisenhower was like, I want... These jackets aren't very practical or neat. The jackets that people were wearing were like kind of restrictive. They were too long. They you know, they also looked like a little bit sloppy. So he got <laughs> his tailor to snazz up his jacket and like to make oh it. he he was responsible he for was, it. They named it for him oh, because he I didn't... was the one who was like, oh look at me in my sharp new jacket. Yeah. Everybody was look like, look at me, I'm a fashion designer <laughs> slash president. People... I thought it was just that like because he wore it, like he popularized it. That's even better and a bit of a micromanager. It sounds a like a little yeah. bit of a well. Yeah. Everybody liked it. It was more comfortable and it did look better. I like it. I like. Oh, the, I you like wear the look. these all the time. I do. It, it, it fits no, my. It, <laughs> <laughs> it's my aesthetic. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. I didn't know. Cool. That yeah, that's cool. All right, yeah. go Ike. Are you looking for a podcast that your whole family can enjoy that asks the deep philosophical questions like, "Do trees fart?" If you are, then you'll love Tumble, a science podcast for kids. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Marshall. Join us as we explore stories of science discovery, from butts to animals, dinosaurs, astronomy, and everything in between. You'll love these stories, and you'll learn something new. Find and follow Tumble Science Podcast for Kids wherever you get your podcasts, or at sciencepodcastforkids.com. So, Colin, you talked about military uniforms. Um, thankfully for me, because I have prepared this entire thing, assiduously avoided the subject of camouflage. Yes. Um, which is what I want to talk about. When you hear the word camouflage, your mind probably goes to the same thing, that particular style of sort of pattern of blobs of green and brown and beige. Um, yeah. On a, yeah. Um, and somebody hiding in the woods, basically. In the, in the general sense, camouflage has been around for a very long time. Like, you don't need to be a technological super genius to figure out, like, oh, if I paint my boat blue, then it will be slightly harder to see against the blue ocean. And in fact, in the fourth century, there are, there are stories of, of people doing this, of, of militaries, you know, with, blue painted boats everybody's wearing blue um so that you know it's just any little just, advantage just you can a get a little bit yeah. harder to see them right exactly camouflage importantly is not just to hide something it is it is to disrupt your vision it is to make you not sure of what exactly it is you're seeing 
for a while in World War One, they used what was called dazzle camouflage. Oh, right. Uh, after like razzle dazzle. <laughs> and, and basically just, yeah, to, to, Make you not sure of what it is you're seeing. It doesn't. What they would do is they would take the the, the warships and paint like diagonal lines, lines yeah. right? All kinds of weird diagonal lines all over the place. This made the ships, if anything, much easier to see. You could see that there was something there, but you didn't know which way the ship was, was oriented. Yeah. You didn't know how many guns were pointed at you. Like that was the mm-hmm. idea behind it. Every now and again, you know, maybe on an airplane, um, you run into somebody who's in military fatigues. They're in their army uniform or their Marines uniform. But something that you may have noticed if you've seen people traveling oh. in military uniforms uh, is that instead of wearing the – they are in camouflage. Like camouflage is part of their official, you know, uniform. They're not fatigues. blobs anymore. They're not blobs. No. They're pixels. Digital camouflage. Digital. Yeah. They look like, uh, like old video game characters, basically. (laughs) They're going to say, oh, if you've seen them traveling, you'll notice their camouflage now matches the plane scene. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Wouldn't that be great? Um, you know, I mean, that, that is coming. I mean, they are testing a lot of things that use, uh, fiber optics that figure out what what does it look yeah. like behind me and it's then an invisibility fiber optics in the front of me yeah the invisibility cloak bananas yeah no no bananas <laughs> Nothing. you can stand in front camouflage of and so yeah, where did the bananas, bananas go <laughs> first use of what we would know as pixelated camouflage was in the 1970s oh wow um a, a uh, now retired army lieutenant uh, colonel timothy o'neill who is still a consultant and an expert in the field of camouflage the problem he was trying to solve was how do you get camouflage to scale yeah because if you paint an intricate pattern on somebody well that's great for close up but then they get far away you can't you see a person color, right yeah. meanwhile if you take a tank and paint bigger blobs on it well that's great for super far away but it's not good for up close <laughs> it's like, i see it yeah so you can't get the traditional camouflage pattern uh... to actually scale appropriately the idea was that by doing the mosaics of squares you could do micro patterns where you get up close and you see a whole bunch of little squares and it meshes well with the background. But then as you get far away, you can also make them into macro patterns. Right, right. Oh. So it's like a fractal. You know, it, it, yeah, it, okay. it, it's, it, the, the, the pattern sort of repeats itself as you zoom out, right? Whoa. So that was the idea behind it. I mean, in the, the, the test that they did, it actually worked. It actually did blend in better with, the surroundings. And it was effective enough that by the 1980s, Canada was the first country to adopt this digital camouflage uh, and put it on everybody's uniform. Canada, it was a- duh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it was called they. It was a a, a patented, I believe, process uh, because it's actually illegal in Canada to use uh, what is known as CADPAT, which is short for. In the classic military acronym, which isn't really an acronym, it's more like an abbreviation. <laughs> yeah, Canadian Disruptive Pattern. Okay. You cannot, private citizens you, cannot private use citizens that. Private citizens cannot use it. Interesting. It is, it is like impersonating a military officer. Okay. Oh. Use that particular pattern. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, the U.S. Marines followed very shortly after with MARPAT, Marine <laughs> yeah. Pattern. Sure. They switched over fully in 2004 and the Army was like, oh, we want to adopt a similar, uh, we want to, we want something that cool <laughs> too. Um, ARMPAT. ARPAT. ARPAT. Um, yes. Uh, and it, it, yeah, I believe that was one of the abbreviations for, um, for That's one of the That's not the guy from Twilight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
the the army wanted to adopt this pattern, but they made one very bad decision. What? For some weird reason, they decided that it would be cool to just have one color scheme called the universal camouflage pattern. Mm. With the idea is like, oh, mm. this color scheme, which was like, it's very light. I mean, if you see somebody in sort of a very light, like dusty gray, yeah. gray, light green beige, it looks a little yeah. more dusty, yeah. like gravelly. It was supposed to work well in any environment. And it doesn't? It doesn't work well in any environment. <laughs> uh. Basically, they were just like, we stick out like sore thumbs everywhere. In the woods, we look tan. Right. In the desert. In the desert. Gray. <laughs> yeah. In the snow, we look gray. The Marines had different color schemes. Oh. They had woodland. They had desert. They had snow. But the army, for some reason, was like, everybody same color. There was a whole lot of blowback. The army is already well on their way to introducing um, a, a pattern to replace the digital <laughs> camo. The thing is, a lot of the blowback... and I. I I tried to find some sort of definitive source in the internet that would say, like, this camo pattern is better than the blobby camo pattern. But you have people who are saying, yes, it's absolutely better. And you have people saying, no, it's actually not better. But a lot of the blowback, which was really about the color scheme of oh, the digital camo the pattern, pattern. pattern, it's it's being reflected onto the pattern because people are like, well, I knew those stupid pixels wouldn't work. You know what I mean? Like that's right, kind of like right. it's confirmation bias of like, oh yeah, well, you know, obviously pixels aren't going like, to make you blend in in the environment, and so that is the problem. Wow. But the people are like, no, 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 no. It's it's the the pixels are not the problem. The color scheme was the problem. But the army tested a whole bunch of different replacements. They're going back to the block. Really? Yep. Oh. Really? So the army go so the Marines still use Marpat. The army is going back to the blobs. I didn't know. Ah, oh, that's yep. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. huh. Still highly debated on the effectiveness of it. It's got to be so hard to... I mean, like, you could do, like, a lab vision test, but that's not simulating a battlefield condition, you know? I mean, it's got to be really hard to... They show pictures to people, and they see how long it takes them to find the anomaly, basically. Okay. Yeah. 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 And we got one last segment. Colin, serve it up. Well, I started with an allusion to sports uniforms. I will close out with some sports-related uniforming knowledge here for you guys. Two fun uh, sports, uh, sort of like sports uniform goof-related stories here. (laughs) Um, So the the NFL, uh, which is the the National Football League for American football, last year they they rolled out a program called the Color Rush. Okay, and this was in combination with uh, with Nike, Mm -hmm. one of their major marketing partners, and. Generally, when you're watching sports, one team will have a light-colored jersey or uniform. One team will have a dark-colored jersey or uniform. Very often, almost always, it's white and some other color uh, or, you know, variation thereon. So the NFL decided, what if we had both teams wearing color? So not white and something else. We'll roll out big, brassy colors. And, you know, this is partly to sell more jerseys. And also because they wanted to just jazz it up a little bit. So they rolled out the program uh, for some uh, for some games later in the season uh, where the teams would come out. And so there was one game with the Buffalo Bills wearing uh, bright red jerseys and the New York Jets wearing bright green jerseys. Okay. And it, you know, it sounds Christmas, very, it sounds yeah. very Christmas like, right. And it looked okay. I suppose not if you're a fan of the teams, that's right. Oh. Dana has it. It is not friendly to the colorblind. So almost mm. immediately 
as the game's going on, colorblind uh, viewers are getting on Twitter, on Facebook, online. They're like, hey, NFL, it looks to me like both teams are wearing the same jersey. I cannot tell what is going on here because they're, yeah, they're the same level of saturation of the colors. <laughs> it's like more common in men, It's and it's a big percentage. Yeah, because more men are colorblind. Yeah. Yep, that's more right. It's they, they say it's about 6%. And that's, that 6% that's of... A lot. Yeah, yeah. And this is red-green colorblindness, of course, but there are other types common, of colorblindness, yeah. right? So the I mean, it amazes me. It amazes me for for an institution that makes so much money from television that, like, from the concept stage all the way up through execution, nobody at any point raised their hand and said, hey, this is a bad idea (laughs) because this is a televised sport. And, and to me, at least, the irony is that part of the reason in football teams had white jersey, color jersey originally was because when the game was first televised right. black on, on black and white oh. TVs, yep. it was the same effect as mm. if you had, you know, no, no color vision. So this year, for this year's color rush uh, games, the NFL has said they are going to make wait, so sure. So it's, it's, it's one game that they can It's do a with? series of games. Okay, okay, it's okay. a series mm-hmm. of games. Yeah. So they'll, they'll brand it as a tonight's a color rush game. They, they've said this year we're going to make sure that they're high contrast so mm-hmm. all of our colorblind viewers watching at home can can enjoy this game just like uh, everyone else. Yeah. All right, and lastly, I will uh, share a, a little anecdote here. So we have talked before about Michael Jordan yeah. and his jersey number. We talked, I think, on a previous episode how he wore number 23, he retired, he came back, he had to wear number 45 for yeah. a while, he eventually switched back to number 23 famously. Um, but I want to tell you guys, there was one game, there was one single game in Michael Jordan's basketball career where he wore neither number 23 nor number 45. Uh, this was a game in 1990, the Chicago Bulls, for whom he played. They were playing the Orlando Magic. Someone in the Orlando arena prior to game time made off with Michael Jordan's jersey out of the locker room. You only had one? So they were traveling. They were on the road. You know, if they, if they were in Chicago, it would have been a little bit easier to wrangle another Michael Jordan jersey. Uh, It just went missing. You know, I mean, it's not like the locker room is just, you know, open to the general public. Mm -hmm. So inside job. Well, yeah. Inside arena job. It's, yeah, right. Definitely. It definitely seems to be that it was an inside job, but whoever took it, it was missing. So they looked around. They interrogated some people. They couldn't find a jersey for him. This is my favorite part of the story. They went out into the crowd, into the stands, looking to see like, hey, maybe maybe somebody here has a jersey that will fit Michael Jordan. Not looking for the stolen jersey, looking for a replacement. Some kid like so excited. They could not find one that was big enough to actually put on Michael Jordan. So luckily, the equipment manager and the team manager traveled with for just this circumstance, a blank jersey with a number but no name on it on the back so okay. it was a generic number 12 chicago bulls jersey huh. uh and so for that one game wow michael jordan wore a jersey number 12 no name on the back and they said he was in a really bad mood Did after <laughs> I think what happened, I mean, it's never been confirmed what happened, but there are rumors that the jersey surfaced later in the, uh, in the other locker room, oh. you know? Well, I mean, this is pre eBay. This oh, is, so uh, it was a prank. Okay. I imagine, my guess is someone did it either just to kind of stick it to Jordan or maybe to hope and sell it on the black market and then started sweating when they realized, like, oh, I'm not going to make it out of the arena with this jersey. No. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right, it's, right. it's unclear yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly what happened. Uh, Dana, the Bulls lost that game to yeah. answer your question, although uh-huh. Jordan did score 49 
points. Wow. Uh, okay. I guess he got pretty, he got <laughs> pretty good. Yeah. So not for nothing. Did yeah. He, yeah. <laughs> he didn't sign autographs after the game, which he normally oh. did. He was he going to just get on the get on the disrupted flight back. Disrupted his to, mojo. It did. It disrupted his mojo. So yeah, that's a very uh, to me anyway as a basketball fan an interesting little footnote to the what was Michael Jordan's jersey number saga. Well, let's not feel too bad because I read that Michael Jordan makes a hundred million dollars a year now. Now he's not yeah. even playing anything. Yeah, yeah. from yeah. from his marketing, from his licensing deals, a hundred yeah. million dollars. Those yeah. underwear commercials. Yeah. Oh, Hanes. Yeah. yeah. Well, so you know what's interesting? I mean, speaking about you know marketing and uniforms. So you know, Karen. You know, so he has his own. Uh, it's the Jordan, which is a sub brand of Nike. Right. Yeah, so yeah. so Nike does all the the manufacturing and everything. But you know, there are Jordan athletes as opposed to Nike athletes, really? and there are Jordan brand you know huh. uh, basketball players. And so as you may know, Michael Jordan is now the primary owner of the uh, Charlotte Hornets yeah. basketball team. So what the league made him do basically was put up a wall, you know, kind of like when the new president comes into office and they have to put their, you know, stocks into a blind management kind of thing. Uh, he is no longer allowed to be involved in choosing what athletes are Jordan athletes because before that could be a really big deal, right? If Nike's trying to sign an athlete. Who's currently yep. a Jordan athlete? Uh, I believe like Carmelo athlete. Anthony? I believe Carmelo Anthony is a Jordan athlete okay. in, in the league. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I believe Derek Jeter, I think, was a Jordan brand athlete outside of oh, basketball. That's not, huh. even, a, that's not <laughs> yeah. even the same sport. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. played baseball, too. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Oh, that's true. That's true. But yeah, so so these days, like the, the NBA players who are chosen to be Jordan oh, Jordan brand ambassadors, like he, he's not allowed to choose them because yeah, it's it's like collusion, basically, or, inter- or interference yeah. with uh, league matters. Right, right. Conflict of interest, right. Charlotte Hornets. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, right. Crazy coincidence. Yeah. And that's our episode. Thank you guys for joining me. And thank you guys, listeners, for listening. I hope you learned a lot of stuff about Armpat. 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 <laughs> Sam Brown Belt, uh, Disney, and Mario. You can find our show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, on Spotify, and on our website, goodjobbrain.com. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.